0: Hi there, This is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or computer, and they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Welcome back to the Cosmic Companion. In this week's episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we look at volcanoes of mud on Mars. We'll also see how life on Earth may have been shaped at the genetic level by cosmic rays from space. We explore collisions between black holes and the ultra-dense neutron stars. And we take a look at the Wolf Disk, an ancient galaxy that grew much faster than expected. Finally, we look at a pair of findings about galaxies, each from the same network of radio telescopes. Plus, in a fun, informative interview, we talk to Dr. Alejandro Soto of the Southwest Research Institute who recently released a study showing how microscopic life forms may be affected by salty deposits of water on Mars. Long canyons that run along the surface of Mars present several mysteries to planetary scientists. Now, a team of researchers centered at Open University have simulated the behavior of mudslides in conditions similar to those found on Mars. They found certain features seen in the laboratory were similar to those found on the red planet. This suggests these Martian features may be the result of mud running along the canyons. The chiral nature of life where biological processes prefer right- or left-handed molecules, may be the result of cosmic rays. Molecules come in different forms, some of which are mirror images of each other. Most chemical reactions treat these chiral molecules equally. However, biological reactions can be far different for each type of molecule. A new study suggests cosmic rays bombarding Earth at the dawn of life may have altered ancient prebiotic molecules shaping the nature of life forever. Some of the most energetic collisions in the cosmos, those between black holes and neutron stars, may be more common than believed, the new study finds. These events are thought to be more common in dense star clusters than in those regions of space where these objects are more sparsely populated. Such collisions create ripples in the fabric of space-time, which may be found while exploring gravity waves, the newest field of astronomy. Astronomers believe that most large galaxies grow over time, slowly absorbing other smaller families of stars. However, the discovery of a galaxy in the ancient universe as large as the Milky Way calls this idea into question. The galaxy known as the Wolf Disk was studied by astronomers using the ALMA network of radio telescopes. Astronomers believe this finding could suggest that galaxies grow far faster than previously believed. In another discovery from the same observatory, ALMA data shows a twinkling of microwave radiation coming from near the core of our galaxy. Astronomers use this network to look toward the core of the Milky Way through a haze of gas and dust. They found a pair of signals of short-wavelength radio energy cycling over a one-hour and half-hour long periods. Astronomers suggest this could be caused by a pair of hot spots of gas and dust orbiting the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion. We are happy to be joined by Dr. Alejandro Soto of the Southwest Research Institute in Boulder, Colorado. He is a planetary scientist and an aerospace engineer who's recently been interesting interesting discovery about uh, Mars. Welcome to the show, Dr. Soto.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so we've, uh, ever since we've been searching uh, other planets, uh, exploring other planets, um, my cat is um, <laughs> having a lot to say, but this is an interview during during quarantine, isn't it? And yes. so <laughs> I'll introduce what comes out of the set later. And we, um, you yeah, know, we've been exploring other planets and using uh, planetary protection methods to prevent life from Earth going to other planets uh, and possibly contaminating them. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your research and how that impacts that quest?
1: Right, so um, the important thing to keep in mind is that one of the major things that planetary exploration is focused on is looking for the possibility of life in our solar system, right? It's a long shot, but if it's there we would love to find it. So one of the things we learned decades ago or we thought through decades ago is that we don't want to put at risk any future potential observations of life elsewhere. So we want to make sure that when we travel to another planet with our spacecraft, particularly when we land on those planets, that we're not bringing uh, life with us. That could confuse our attempts to look for life on Mars, on Europa, on any number of objects in the solar system. And so the challenge is that you might think oh well you're in space it's a vacuum nothing can live up there but it turns out there are uh, quite a few microbes that are really tough there are some that like to live inside nuclear reactors there's some that are okay being in a vacuum they just go dormant they hang out and then when they get back into an atmosphere they, they get working again so there's always a small risk that we could contaminate life on another planet on the other hand you don't wanna so restrict our missions with trying to guarantee there's no bugs on your spacecraft that you can't afford to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we developed a program, uh, and it's an international thing um, done by, it's started by a number of scientists in many countries, but brought together by different space agencies agreeing to these rules, where we have uh, different classes of missions um, and with the highly unoriginal uh, labels of A, B, C, and D. And <laughs> They tell you something about the the cost and the risk profile, but they also tell you something about the the level of planetary protection you're going to worry about. And the the toughest one is if you're going to land on the surface of a planet that we think could potentially harbor life, like Mars, then you want to make sure you you want to take all measures you can to avoid bringing life with you. You also want to then try to avoid places where life could already be W- uh, when you land with your spacecraft, especially if it 's a mission that 's not intending to look for life right so that 's where they came up with this idea called special regions A special region was the idea this is a spot where we don 't have evidence right now, but we think maybe it could potentially harbor habitable conditions uh, so the conditions that would be conducive to life as we know it on earth and so that 's special regions um, was something that the community's been working on, but it becomes a, both an exciting. Um, driver for exploration, but also uh, a limitation. And that's the challenge. Like on the one hand, well, special regions might be wanting where you want to go for, look for life. But if you're not looking for life, suddenly you can't go there for other reasons. Mm -hmm. What we were looking at was more of a general question originally. We started looking at, we just wanted to understand the conditions for different types of liquids on Mars liquid water, just plain old liquid water, will boil off really quickly on the surface of Mars. It's not stable. But a while back, some people figured out in laboratory experiments that you can get what are called metastable liquids. And these are usually um, brines. And what a brine is, and anybody who's ever cooked a fancy Thanksgiving turkey knows this already, a brine is salty water, right? And uh, the amount of brininess is a measure of how much salt is in this liquid. And so some people had already figured out that if you got the right mixture of salt and the right type of salt mixed in with some water, it might be stable on Mars. Maybe. What we decided to do was explore that question. Beyond just what has been seen in the lab, it asked the question, okay, some scientists figured out that there are these set of conditions where you might be able to create a metastable liquid brine on Mars. Do those conditions ever actually occur on current Mars? to our best knowledge as of right now, based on observational evidence and modeling. And that's what we did. We did some modeling, we did some work, and what we've worked out is you can get metastable brines on Mars, but they all happen at temperatures or saltiness that would not be uh, conducive to life as we know it, living there. And that's when that came to the final conclusion, which was not what we started with, which is, wait a minute, a lot of these special regions aren't so special which means we could actually go there instead of avoiding them, which is kind of exciting.
0: Right. And that's the brings into, you know, brings to mind so many questions. But the, um, of course, one of the things you always look for in the search for life anywhere uh, is water. Right. And so, you know, we've been finding more and more evidence of water on Mars. Um, but you, there was this water that your study was, centered on, um, is found in a really special way. So like when, uh, when most people think of water on Mars, you know, think ice, of course, but I mean, what where do these deposits like?
1: So for starters, you don't want to think of big seas, lakes, not even ponds, uh, a glass of water is more than you should be thinking of. What we're really talking about are droplets that could be forming, and these would be really, really brackish droplets. Like you wouldn't want to drink them because of how salted they would be. They've got, um, uh, there's different versions of it. You can have a potassium, you can have manganese salts, calcium salts. And so we're not talking about potentially finding big swaths of this stuff. We're talking about there might be tiny spots here and there. And in this is not just completely hypothetical we have evidence from the uh, Mars Phoenix mission which was a mission uh, launched the last uh, decade which went into the, the polar regions in the north northern part of uh, Mars and it would landed on um, rock that had clearly had ice right underneath it and we're not entirely sure why but why this happened but we definitely saw salt droplets form, just little tiny droplets the size of your thumb kind of thing or smaller. So we know this kind of stuff can happen under the right set of conditions, but that droplet was probably very, very salty. Um, it It would be great for preserving your food forever. You might not want to eat that food after you preserved it in that salt mixture, but that's what we're talking about. You're not talking about large regions, but it turns out a little thumb size or smaller bit of water, even a briny water, under the right set of conditions, life can actually live in that. So you don't need a pond or seas in order to potentially find life. And that's what we were thinking all along. The work we've done now and that we just published this week, we're sort of arguing that unfortunately we don't think that even those scenarios on Mars are supportive of life as we know it. Interesting.
0: And so where did this water and salt come from? Was it from the ancient oceans or, you know, the ancient water which used to exist on Mars or are they created through chemical reactions? That's a great question.
1: Um, in terms of connecting it to the past, that's very hard. Um, we still don't know how much water we had in the past and we have no idea where it went. So yes, maybe it is remnant water from an ancient ocean, but no, maybe it's not. And uh, I know that's never a satisfying answer, but that to me is also the exciting part. is trying to figure that out. What we do know, however, is that Mars does have a very limited hydrological cycle. It's not like Earth. Earth, we got water everywhere. But there is water vapor moving around in the atmosphere and there is water in the polar caps. And so there is some water availability. We have seen evidence of water below the surface from radar measurements. So there is water in the system. Most of it is ice. Mm-hmm. Some of it is water vapor, and maybe a tiny bit is, is captured in some of these brines. Which now that we've made some maps about where they might be, we're hoping might um, motivate future exploration to go look for this um, briny uh, liquid. It could be also briny ice on Mars.
0: That's that's fascinating, and uh, of course, you know, since ancient times, we've used um, we've used brine to preserve foods specifically because things tend not to grow in them mm-hmm. but um but how do you think that you know life you know theoretical life on mars like you know native martian life microbes uh, if they existed uh would likely be far different than what we see and what is developed and evolved on earth um do you see these brines even possibly being uh being used in some sort of weird just just say an alien life cycle
1: well i can never say absolutely no and i also should emphasize up front that um i work on the climate side of things i'm not an astrobiologist so there are probably some astrobiologists that have more creative uh, answers to this question what i can say is from what i understand talking to astrobiologists Um, if it's, if a brine is too salty, or the temperatures are too cold, the life we know on Earth wouldn't survive. And so we're arguing that that's what we're saying on Mars. But you're correct. If life evolved independently, it arose and evolved independently on Mars, it is always possible that it found a pathway of evolution that allows it to survive under these conditions. But there's no way for me to really guess. I mean, I could speculate a lot, but right. from a scientific process, there's really hard for me to guess right now without more exploration and more studies. So the community is going to be very excited going forward to think about, okay, well, we don't have the conditions we see on Earth, but we have the conditions we have on Mars. What kind of life could that be? But for right now, mainly what we're ruling out is that life as we know it would, would not be able to survive
0: in these conditions. All right, that's super. Well, and what sort of, uh, finish up, what sort of... Um, experiments would you like to see done or would you like to conduct with unlimited funding and approvals? (laughs) unlimited funding and approval what what we're really excited about
1: is um, if we could open up these special regions as places we could go to i would love to have um, a rover or a lander whatever is appropriate to actually go to one of these sites and actually measure brine formation in real time. One of the things we found is the brine is is icy most of the year, but there are seasons where it just gets warmed up just enough that it gets liquid. And it would be wonderful to have a spacecraft there, landed, watch this whole process, because it would allow us to verify the accuracy of our models, the accuracy of our laboratory work, and to watch a chemical process happening in the conditions that we don't get on Earth. and I would love to have this be part of a bigger picture mission where we also study how, the, how these materials might interact with the wind, how they interact with uh, dust and sand. What do these materials mean for the formation of rock? Because we understand how rock formed on Earth over time, but the processes are slightly different on Mars. And there's a lot of open questions on a planet that may have been drier for most of its history. How, do you, how does sedimentation work and stuff like that? And so this would be a chance to go study that.
0: Fabulous. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was wonderful to have you on the show. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. And that was Dr. Alejandro Soto of the Southwest Research Institute of Boulder, Colorado. Next week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, will be joined by Professor Seiji Sugita of the Department of Earth and Planetary Science at the University of Tokyo, researcher on the Hayabusa-2 mission currently exploring the asteroid Ryugu. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cosmic Companion, Please download and share the episode on YouTube or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.com or thecosmiccompanion.net.